Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Je m'appelle Tegan Higginbotham, and this week we're getting the hell out of Paris. But when it comes to experiencing the whole of France, what do you do when you're faced with limited travel time but an abundance of choice? And is there more to the Paris-La Provence divide than we foreigners understand? Plus, I chat with someone who's bringing a little culinary magic to Melbourne with their unique and completely irresistible desserts. This pastry chef may have trained in London and Paris, but he's gone on to create something entirely of his own. Welcome to Rue Marc. Be sure to get out of Paris if you can to just get a taste of what the rest of the country is like. Sometimes I feel like I'm a bit of a novelty, which is good. There are many, many wonderful places to visit outside Paris. Paris is in France, but France is not only in Paris. Well, here we are in episode six, and I am so very excited to say that in a matter of days, I will be traveling back to France. But one of the things I've realized about myself is that when planning an overseas trip, I have a tendency to become paralyzed by choice. And I think a lot of Australians feel the same way. For example, I still cannot get over the fact that if I'm in London, I can hop on a train and in a few hours, I could be in Wales or Scotland or Belgium or France or any number of cool places. But you know where you end up if you take a two hour train ride out of Melbourne? Maui, okay? You end up in Maui, which might sound French, but it's f***ing not. So as exciting as this abundance of choice is, it can lead to a mental shutdown. I found this happening when I got stuck into planning this next trip to France. I sat down with my fiancé and my family because, yes, they're coming along too, and no, I don't learn lessons. And we started to throw some ideas around. For example... After spending time in Paris, we figured we could hop on a bus and head west towards Normandy and visit Monet's garden in Giverny, see one of the most charming towns in Europe, en fleur, or take a pilgrimage to the World Heritage-listed Mont Saint-Michel. Or we could hop on a train and head north to Netherlands, Belgium or Germany. I mean, they're right there. Why wouldn't you? We could rent a car and go to the south of France. But where in the south of France? Where? We could visit Lyon the highest-ranking destination to visit in France, according to the New York Times, and the gastronomic capital of France. We could venture towards Bordeaux for the vineyards, the museums, and the contemporary masterpiece, the water mirror. But if we do all that, we might not get enough time to visit the coast and the French Riviera. What about Marseille, Nice, Avignon, Montpellier? And once you're all the way down there, you're a stone's throw from Spain, so why wouldn't you go there, right? I mean, why wouldn't you? Then you could just continue south and end up in Portugal or via southeast and do Italy where we could glide down the Amalfi Coast or Switzerland where we could do the Alps or, or anywhere. Oh, God, I'm so overwhelmed. Let's just stay in Paris. On top of all this, I had been told that for people like myself who aren't yet fluent in French, travelling outside of Paris can be particularly difficult as the language barriers are far more pronounced. So with all this in mind, you can understand why after visiting France three times, 
I've never made it further out of Paris than Versailles, where I was very well behaved, as you all well know. But I know I'm not alone in all this. This is what most Aussies do. We go to France, we head straight to Paris, then after a few days we hop on out again. It may seem okay for us, but for people such as Margot Dumas, this habit can be a little frustrating to observe. Well, first, when I came to Australia, I was really, really, really surprised by how many Australians have been to France. Like, very shocked. And then when I asked question, I realized, like, people kind of stop at Paris and then go to another country. And that's so frustrating for me because France is so much more than just Paris. It is a beautiful city for sure, but there's so many other cities in and I, I just heard that the New York Times actually like elected my city, Lyon, as mm. the most beautiful city in France. And it's so true. And I'm like, I'm like, yes, people go over Lyon, go over Paris. There's like south of France. There's Lyon. There's Bordeaux. There's so many beautiful things that I think the beauty of France is that from one city to another you feel in a different place, in a different country, like a different vibe. The food is different, the habits of the people are different, the lifestyle and the, like, the rhythm of the day is different, and that's so interesting to see in just one country. Interesting indeed, but Margot, I still don't know where to go. So to offer his recommendations, I spoke with one of my all-time favourite Rulemark guests. Holy shit, it's Pierre Drouvet from Paris! Hello, this is Pierre. I hope you're well. Pierre, it is so lovely to hear from you. Now, today we're talking about venturing into the French countryside. So to begin with, can I ask you to explain the term La Provence? Paris is in France, but France is not only in Paris. In fact, people in Paris have their own word to mention every place which is not in Paris. They say this La Provence, in opposition to the capital, but I don't like it because I find it very reducing. So I prefer to mention every region by its name. And um, we usually say that it's rare to find a real Parisian. It's a paradox. Paris full with people from La Provence that are called Provenciaux. So if we do want to head out of Paris, what would you recommend? In the south of France, I love the region of Avignon. But for those who love wine, go to Bordeaux, visit a vineyard or famous domain. For those who like food and cooking, uh, I recommend to visit the capital of cuisine, uh, that is Lyon. And for, for those who love mountains, uh, you have to see Le Mont Blanc, biggest mountain of Europe. That's where alpinism was created. But the place outside Paris I prefer to stay is Saint-Malo. It's a massive old city on the sea, good food and wonderful oysters, great landscapes, and you can also visit islands around big ones like Jersey and Guernsey, which are Bri uh, British, small ones like uh, the one with the tomb of French author Chateaubriand. In France, some people say that there the weather is too rainy and the water is too cold, but I love the changing skies around the coast. It could be raining hard and 10 minutes later, wonderful sun. I even prefer to stay in uh, Saint-Malo uh, in fall or winter when it's more quiet and everything is slower. I can do long walks with fog or rain and spend my evenings uh, to read books or playing games with my friends. Saint-Malo, or Saint-Malo, I think that's how Australians would say it, Saint-Malo, is a port city west of Paris. And just quickly, I had a look at some images of Saint-Malo online and it is incredible. 
Huge granite walls surround the city, while inside winding cobblestone streets snake their way around cathedrals, museums and cafes. And it only takes a few hours to get there from Paris on public transport. When you travel in a region of France, I strongly recommend to read things about the history of the region. It can really help you to understand the city. For example, Saint-Malo is in Brittany, which is a region with a very strong identity. People have traditions, a Celtic heritage, they have their flag, their specific music and even their language. But don't be scared, everybody speaks French there. I mean, that does scare me, just a little bit, but I see your point. Pierre, what was it like where you grew up? I grew up in a little village in the woods uh, around the city of Chantilly, 20 minutes from there. If you like pastries, you might have tasted Crème Chantilly, which was created in Chantilly. My village uh, is quite isolated in a huge forest with only 200 people, no shop, and few kids. When I in my childhood, um, there were even not internet. TV reception was very bad, and it was impossible to receive calls on mobiles. So. I read a lot, listened a lot of music and discovered the urban life at 18 when I, when I went to study in northern France in Lille. I find it so funny to grow up so close from Paris, it's 60 kilometers around, and I just went there once or twice just to see the Eiffel Tower. And uh, But now I think it's quite a good place uh, to go. I go there monthly to disconnect from Parisian life and see my family. It's quite a, a really, really interesting place. Chantilly, we would probably say Chantilly. Yeah, that's actually, that's definitely what we'd say. Chantilly is only 25 minutes by train out of Paris from Gare, 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 Gare du Nord. Gare du Nord is War of the North. Gare is station. Just a little point. And it is well worth a visit by the looks of things. There is a castle at Domaine de Chantilly, or Chantilly, which is one of the jewels in the crown of France's cultural heritage. It contains the second largest collection of antique paintings after the Louvre, while outside there are vast gardens containing, most notably, a 4,000-metre-square maze and an actual proper moat, which I find really exciting, and I'm definitely, not even joking, I'm definitely going to go there. We'll hear more from Pierre in just a second, but for now... Another great suggestion for those venturing outside of Paris would be to head down to Montpellier, which is where Australian artist Tara Cull recently moved with her wife after they had a chance meeting on Instagram. I was travelling through France in 2000 and... Gosh, I can't even think. 2017. And I was travelling in a place called Villanty, which is a, a big garden in the Loire Valley, and I was with my parents... And I posted a picture on Instagram of me at this garden with my parents. And I started a conversation with somebody here who is not French but Portuguese. And we started conversing by Instagram and, and then on WhatsApp. And we um, started to speak a lot and got to know each other. And uh, she came to Australia, then I came to France, and then we did a lot of backwards and forwards, and we ended up last year deciding that I was going to come to France to live, not having spoken any French, nothing. 
and we finally got married in January, which was amazing. So the the wedding was actually in French, so I had to have a translator. I didn't understand anything the the guy was saying, so it was very very interesting. <laughs> Tara, that story is so lovely, so genuinely lovely, and so incredible. And now you're living in Montpellier. What's it like? It's very interesting because a lot of people that live here, about I think about a third of the people that live here are students. So you get a big mishmash of culture of people that live here. And you it's not a huge city, so it's a like it's one of the biggest cities in, in France, but it's not big like Paris or big like Melbourne. So you can get around really easily on the tram. Um, there's you know, so many beautiful buildings that you can visit. It's very, the town of Montpellier has a lot of um, medieval type streets. So they're little narrow streets and little cute shops that you can walk in. So I spent a lot of time, I definitely spent a lot of time when I first came here and I wasn't working, just walking into town and walking around the streets. And I, as you said, I'm I do a lot of drawing as well, so one of the things I started doing when I came here was doing urban sketching, so it's a really amazing way to learn things about a city, so you, I would stay in one place and sit and just draw the place, and people come up to you and speak to you, and sometimes in French, so I don't know what I'm, I don't know what to say sometimes, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a nice way to relax and just um, take it all in, if that makes sense. I have been told that the language barriers are more pronounced outside of Paris. Have you found that to be true? I just find that if you make an effort and you make a mistake, they think you're cute. So they just will be nice to you. Um, but it, I think the important thing is, is to try. We've discussed languages in previous episodes and how important it is to start your conversations by saying bonjour and generally just give speaking French a go. It's something Pierre has stressed in the past and he believes it's just as true for rural France. I think mm, you don't have to speak French to travel elsewhere than in Paris. But the fundamentals are required, like bonjour, au revoir, merci, s'il vous plaît. It, it's very uh, appreciated by French people when you try to speak a little and it will help you to, inter to interact in your daily life. But, you know, in every big city, uh, Bordeaux or Nantes or Strasbourg, it is more easy to find people who are familiar with English. Uh, it can help you. And when you uh, are going to the country, uh, it might be harder because people are, you know, more uh, used to speaking English. But, you know, now young people everywhere in the country are more comfortable with it thanks to the internet. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG.
So, Saint-Maurent, Chantilly and Montpellier are certainly on the list, while Pierre also suggests Bordeaux for wine lovers and Lyon for foodies. But what other hotspots should we be adding to our itineraries? I asked a man who knows an awful lot about getting around France, as he recently spent his honeymoon vespering around the countryside with his new wife, Lena, while mapping out a giant love heart across the country. Oh, what's that? Yeah, my ovaries just exploded. So while I deal with that, please... So while I deal with that, please enjoy listening to the host of the Earful Tower, Perth-born, Paris-based Oliver G. To begin with, I asked him if this incredible trip was the best of his life. It was... I tell you what, Tegan, I, it was the best trip of my life, but never again. It was, uh, <laughs> it was a long trip and it was, uh, it was hard. It was way harder than we thought it would be. Uh, it was beautiful and we saw so much of the country and... Like, it's been so cool meeting French people, people in Paris and, and saying, you know, where did you come from? And they'll say some random place and I'll be like, yeah, I know that really well. We, we scooted through it. But it's very taxing uh, to go at 45 kilometers an hour for two months for 4,000 kilometers. And uh, I wouldn't recommend it to you if you were thinking of doing something similar to Egan. In all the photos, you don't seem to have that much luggage on you. How did you do that? Ours was a lot easier in terms of like we were on fairly nice roads and um, and in you know really beautiful places. But uh, the motorbike—it's not even a motor. I have to just stress this for your listeners. It's a stupid little red scooter that you're meant to drive around cities in, you know. Um, so <laughs> it was uh, it was challenging in that. Plus, I mean, you say we didn't have much luggage, but it. It felt like a lot when we had two people and, and uh, enough luggage for two months on that little scooter. But um, I don't know. We got really good at packing it away. You know, Lena is Swedish, so she's grown up with IKEA and furniture that flat packs. So she knows all the she knows all the secrets. So we, we got away with it. But we did one of those. You know, there's there's people. Um, one thing I learned about <laughs> about the world is people are really into what you pack when you go traveling. I got so many emails of people saying. Um, like, how do you fit it all into the to the top case? And I was like, why do you care? Like, it's just close. But eventually, I did like a time lapse video of us showing how to pack it all, and people really, uh, people really liked it. So I don't think it's quite a fetish, but it's something that people are <laughs> are really interested when it comes to traveling. You know, I've I've read that your intention was to figure out France. Do you think you managed it? I think I've been trying to figure out France for four years since I moved here, and I'm I think I'm a lot closer to it. Like, there's a lot of things uh, that, I mean, you've been to Paris a bunch of times. A lot of people will say that French people are rude. And I think those kind of things or those kind of misconceptions are really based on uh, tourists' experience of dealing with a waiter in Paris. You know, things that are really just a tiny little part of life in, in France. And what I got to see traveling around the country for a couple of months was really what the typical French person is like. And that's typically very welcoming, very warm. Uh, very non-English speaking, uh, but very happy to talk. And uh, it's, I think it's a bit of a trap with, with every country in the world probably, but especially France, is people tend to draw these massive uh, generalizations about the whole country just based on the waiters from central Paris, which is clearly not the way to do it. As an Australian, though, were there things that you encountered on your trip that still blindsided you or caught you off guard? Or, you know, if you were warning somebody, not warning, but giving them tips on maybe travelling in rural France, you'd say, oh, just a heads up, there's this and it's really different. Mm. I'd definitely say if, if an Australian who doesn't speak any French was going to 
travel around small town France. And I mean, when I say small town, I mean, we went to villages where like the population was like three. I mean, like really small, small places. I'd say if people are going to do the same thing, that they should definitely, definitely learn a bit of French. And uh, if you're going to go to really small places, learn more French than just hello, goodbye, and thank you. Uh, you don't need to. You definitely would get by, but it will really open things up for you if you make an effort. People are uh, much more likely to take the time to help you out if you try and speak their language, which is the same in Paris, to be fair, compared to, you know, I was in Lisbon the other day, and I was I was gobsmacked by how well everyone spoke English compared to in Paris. So uh, if you're coming to France, the myth is, it's no, it's no myth. You should learn a little bit of French, and it will get you by a long way. So I, I'm heading back over very, very soon and was really overwhelmed when trying to pick where to go to in Paris. And, uh, sorry, in France, I should say. And one of the places that I looked at and I haven't booked and I'm regretting it so much now was Annecy or Annecy, I thought it was called. And mm. according to you, this is the most beautiful village in France. Yep. Tegan, you have made a mistake. You have made an absolute <laughs> error. Annecy, yeah, so I call it Annecy and then the people there pronounce it more like Annecy, like that, so depending on how local you want to sound, but I was I was blown away by this place. So, like, uh, to paint a bit of a picture, it's, it kind of looks like something from Switzerland, I suppose. There's this beautiful lake. It's completely surrounded by mountains, and it's just the most charming little... I guess it's beyond a village. I guess it's a town um, where, you know, it feels like you could... It feels like you could get your phone out of your pocket, point it in any direction without looking, take a picture, and it would be the best picture you've ever taken of... Uh, of 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 a day in the life of France, just just stunning, stunning beauty. And when we when we went there, we were traveling around and we sort of stayed at night everywhere because we had to get all the way back to Paris before it got too cold to scoot. And uh, when we were in Annecy, we booked the hotel. We walked around, I swear, for about ten minutes, and then I just got my phone out and I called the hotel and I was like, "Can we have the same room again for tonight? I don't want to leave this place." Which might not sound like a big deal for if someone who's just traveling for a short period of time. But on that journey, that, that meant a lot. It meant it was like twice as good as anywhere else. And we uh, we just went all in. I loved it. And, you know, beautiful. Like even We were there in like early October and I was swimming in the lake. It was just some kind of little garden of Eden that, that apparently uh, not everyone knows about. I mean, telling people if you go to France, you shouldn't leave without uh, stopping through Annecy. Ah, shit. Because <laughs> we have not gone there. We'll be heading down to Avignon, uh, which I've heard is also very, very beautiful. That's not, that's not a, it's a, like a, a close second, let's say that. Okay. All right, you've made me feel better. You've made me feel better. Well, outside of Annecy or Annecy, if people had, say, limited time because your trip took a while, if they had a, only a short space of time to leave Paris and see the rest of France, what would you recommend? Yep, if, you're, if you just want to do quick trips, the train services here are like really excellent and you can get down to... Uh, places like Bordeaux in a couple of hours, they've made even faster trains in, in recent years. So I think you can get down to Bordeaux in about two hours. Um, and that's a perfect, you, I mean, you can do a day trip, but it's a perfect weekend away. Anything with a fast train, you can get down to the Riviera really easily, uh, way quicker than flying. So I'd say if you want to have one extra little weekend to tag on the end of your trip, you should go to somewhere like Nice or Bordeaux. Um, and then if you want to go take it a little bit of a step further, you should explore Normandy or Burgundy where, you know, you can have all the lovely wines and, or even go, go, uh, to the West and check out all the chateaus and the Loire Valley. I mean, I'd, I'll be honest, you can't really go wrong. Like if you just, if you go to a place you've heard of, even just heard of once, it's probably famous for a reason and you can't go wrong. 
So uh, I would, I would, and I think, uh, I think a lot of people in France would agree with it. I would uh, be sure to get out of Paris if you can to just get a taste of what the rest of the country is like. From an Australian living in France to a French woman who now calls Sydney home, Marine Reynard moved down under in late 2014 when she started her stunning blog, The Frenchie Escapes. Here, she shares her adventures and love for the outdoors with a particular focus on surfing. I asked Marine where she grew up in France and whether there were any good surf beaches nearby. <laughs> uh, actually, not really. <laughs> that was... Um... So I grew up in Nantes, uh, which is in the west part of France, so near the Atlantic Ocean, so not that far from the ocean, but I was also spending my weekends in a small seaside uh, town, which, which is called La Boule, but there are absolutely no waves there. But I was dreaming of surfing since a really young age, I think from watching that movie Blue Crush. <laughs> so I was, yeah, I was really already into surfing, but actually started learning really late, probably at the age of 19 in France, in uh, near Lelon, so it's in the southwest. But it's only arriving here that I actually really pursued my love for surfing, and now I'm totally addicted and can't think of living anywhere near, far away from the waves. So that's really funny that it turned out like that. <laughs> so for you, does this mean that you would have to stay? I mean, can you go back and live in France in that case? Are there good surf beaches in France? Yeah, there in the southwest, there are lots of nice surf beaches, um, from Biarritz to Hosgo and Lacano. Um, all of those are quite famous and quite good. But I have to say, the weather is a lot nicer here, and the water is a bit warmer. So um, I could go back, but I just love Australia so much. I don't know. I don't know if I will. <laughs> what is the coastline of France like in the west, like where you grew up? So it's quite wild and not that crowded sometimes so that's what I really like about it so it's um around Brittany and it can be you know a bit cold and rainy like England and especially in summer like you can't really expect crazy temperatures Um, sometimes you can have really nice summers but what I really like about it yeah is really that it's quite wild and there's not that many people around and you still get really nice beaches and it's just beautiful to look at so I really like that yeah it's lovely but is there anything yes. that you miss about France yeah I, I did fell in love with here but there are always things that I would miss from home forever I'd say and it's good sometimes that I have a few reminders here or if I can go back from time to time um I think, well, obviously, apart from family and friends, which is the obvious, the food is obviously a big one. I did all, I did find here really good food, and now I really have my meals and all the food I really like and discovered all the Asian food. But in France, I think the bakeries are the number one thing that I miss. <laughs> all the very fresh, you know, baguettes and delicious croissant and pain au chocolat <laughs> it's always a bit uh yeah hard but um but no it's probably healthier to not eat those every day so that's good as well <laughs> so where where do you go in sydney if you're looking for that you know that french connection with home yeah so there's actually one um one place that i love so where i grew up actually we so i grew up eating crepes and galette and i was really missing it when i arrived in sydney and then i found out about this uh, restaurant called um, four frogs so they have four um in sydney and they have the most delicious crepes and i just love going there and bringing my aussie friends there and kind of showing them a bit of my culture especially 
local um, regional culture from France. So I'm quite happy that we have this this in here. <laughs> but I'm still looking for the perfect bakery. So if any tips, let me know. <laughs> what would you recommend for travellers who are going over to France? Where would you suggest they go? But there's something that I really miss and I really love doing in France is actually going to the snow during winter in the Alps because I think it's just the most beautiful landscapes the food is just incredible from if you love cheese oh my god I can't even <laughs> I'm just thinking about it uh, it's just delicious and you can yeah, you can learn how to ski or practice your skiing or snowboarding and um, I did that since quite a young age and yeah that's something I really miss actually from France and yeah the outdoor the fresh air it's just incredible just the mountains I think it's really something to experience once um, in your life and especially the seasons are um, you know the other way around so like having I don't know like a white Christmas in the snow there is just purely magical. I don't know about you listeners, but I feel like I have a much better idea of where I want to visit the next time I'm in France. But what if travel isn't on the cards for some time? Where do you go locally to experience that little bit of magic? One place that Paul and I have enjoyed visiting probably too many times, if I'm honest, over the past few years is Birch and Purchase Suite Studio in South Yarra, where you'll find creations such as their lemon tarts, salted caramel spreads, mango, strawberry and lime cheesecakes, Easter trifles and so much more. I headed into their bustling studio to chat with Darren Purchase, the man behind Birch and Purchase, to find out more about his process and his latest book, Chefs Eat Breakfast Too. Can I ask you, because whenever I um, do come back in here... There is always something new and I'm often trying things that I haven't tried before. I know this is really daft, but I hadn't tried lychee until I came in and last year you had a shoe pastry with lychee and something else. Oh my God, it was, it was the best thing ever. How, I mean, we've talked about how you get inspired and travel is a really important part of that, but how do you stay in love with dessert? Are you still in love with dessert? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is what we do. So um, we, we love coming up with new flavours and new combinations of flavors and um, we have our favorites here in the store which kind of never changed the coconut passion fruit ginger and mint dessert was one of the first ones we um, came up with uh, nearly eight years ago and that stays the same Um, but there are we always try and include new desserts in the range very hard because people have their favorites and yeah sometimes have to get rid of one to bring one back so the lychee shoe bun is not in the cake cabinet at the moment but it's been replaced with something equally as delicious we think um i guess going on to the word shoe it's one of the few french words we use in the store because there's no other um better description for it apart from bun which is not not um awesome um so we kind of we have a less french vocabulary as um, other sort of pastry shops we don't call ourselves a patisserie because we're in Australia but of course French techniques and and products that were invented in France that I learned in Europe have made their way into the cake cabinet so we make shoe pastry we make meringues and we do you know creams and all sorts of things like that that would have been um, invented in France mm-hmm. we're not anti-French we're just <laughs> pro-Australian vocabulary and original original. yeah did you know that it was going to become this institution when you started it was that you know one of the long-term goals 
Well, we were hoping to be open <laughs> for longer than a year, yeah. Is that what's sort of normal? Do, do things kind of collapse in a year? Gosh. Um, food businesses are very hard to yeah. maintain and sustain. So, um, but yeah, we, we hoped that we would create something that is new and unique that people would want to keep coming back for. But we have to make sure that we are constantly updating, changing our range and, and, and staying relevant. Yeah. But the chefs eat breakfast too. Tell me what, what's, I mean, I've, I've read some of the recipes in there and they, they sound incredible. There was something with donuts involved in it as well, chicken and donuts, am I right? Uh, there's a, um, an Asian dish, that kind of like chicken congee, which mm. is served with a donut traditionally. Um, so it's kind of like a, a fried breadstick type thing. Um, but there is a traditional donut in there as well in the dessert section, which is breakfast dessert, which is um, very important meal. Very of the important day. meal of the day. It's uh, yeah, yeah. It's a day off day, and it's something you can have after breakfast or with or instead of breakfast. Um, yeah, which is really awesome. I think after. I think that sounds fair <laughs> enough. You have your mains, and then I don't understand why breakfast hasn't become multi-course yet. It's really. Well, if people haven't gotten your books in the past, they should definitely get your book. Then, of course, there's your book about toasties. And on April 1st, I believe, your book about breakfast comes out. Yep. So definitely people should get that. That will be in all bookstores, I'm assuming. It will be everywhere, actually <laughs> everywhere. Um, it has its own soundtrack. Yeah, it's... Um, it has a soundtrack. Yeah, a lot of the books... At Sweet Studio, we have our own sweet soundtrack. So we have 300 songs, um, more or less, that have dessert... Um, connotations um, and it's a fun theme that we've carried over into some of the cookbooks so um, Toasties and Chefs Host Christmas all have their own playlist as do Chefs Eat Breakfast too so if you um, if you follow um, I think it's me Darren on Spotify you can um, search for the playlist and hear I think there's about 50 songs Great. to do with breakfast so that's really fun it's kind of a nice, fun um, add-on that we, we that we try and do for the experience of the books, the experience of the store. Well, there you have it, folks. What a chock-a-block episode. Now, if all has gone to plan, I will hopefully have some sort of map thing up at rulermark.com featuring all these wonderful suggestions. It may be a crude drawing. I'm not sure yet. But do head to the site anyway. But for now, a big thanks to all of our very special guests, including Margot Dumas. Pierre Trouvet from Le Monde. And in case you don't know, Le Monde is the highest selling newspaper in France. Pierre has been flat out covering Brexit for the past few weeks and you can follow his work at at Pierre3D on Twitter. Artist and landscape designer Tara Cull. You can see her beautiful work at tussockstudio.com or at tussockstudio on Instagram. Oliver G. You can check out his wonderful podcast, The Earful Tower, and read more about his journeys in France at theearfultower.com. Marine Reynard, The Frenchie Escapes. Her website, thefrenchieescapes.com, is well worth a look. Not only for her excellent blog entries, but also to see a really different and really stunning side of Sydney. And finally, Kath Claringbold and Darren Purchase from Birch and Purchase. You can follow Birch and Purchase online if you like feeling hungry all the time, but I'd recommend just popping into their Chapel Street studio and trying their desserts for yourself, or grabbing a copy of Chef's Eat Breakfast too. But before we go, just one final note on travelling in France, especially in the current climate. 
Many people in Australia will be aware that there have been several protests in France over the rising price of fuel, led by the Yellow Vest Movement, or the Gilets Jaunes, who are a grassroots populist group pushing for economic justice. Now, from the imagery we've seen in Australia, it's safe to say that these protests have been quite elevated. Sometimes they've, they've really looked violent. So what does this mean for tourists? Are things a bit dangerous in France, or is the situation actually under control? I've had a few Rulemark followers ask me these very things, so I chatted with Tara and Oliver to see what they thought about it all from an Australian perspective. When I first came here, the first weekend I got to France and I was in Paris, it was one of the first or maybe the second protests for the Gilets Jaunes, mm -hmm. and I was walking around some of the museums and uh, the day after the protest and there was things thrown everywhere. So I was really shocked and speaking to my wife, it's she, she feels like it's kind of progressed a bit more than, um, than what is usual. And so I kind of gauge the feeling off her and I, I was shocked at first and then it started happening in Montpellier and just the other day we were in town and there was a protest with lots of police lots of uh, lots of the religion throwing things and then the police then shooting the the tear gas guns and and so and everyone that was around me sitting at this restaurant just sat there and it was like it was normal so I think you sign you you sort of gauge the how safe or not safe it is based on the people around you but having said that to to an Australian who doesn't very often see these things it can be quite scary and there was a little boy next to me and he just started crying and his mum started crying and that's when I realized it's probably becoming a bit more scary than what people are used to but it's hard to know and it's really hard to make comments on things like this as a as a foreigner yeah. I think because you don't know and you don't understand the where it's all coming from and why, and it's a very complicated sort of melting pot of things that are happening. Look, I get a lot of emails about it too. A lot of tourists yeah. are worried because the, the newspapers will show the picture of the, the burning car in the middle of the street rather than, you know, 99% of the rest of the country that looks fine. I mean, I put it this way. So I, it's every Saturday in Paris. The past may be... 10 Saturdays, I haven't seen literally anything. I've gone about my life normally. Uh, I don't know the, I don't know what it's like in Montpellier where, the, where your artist friend is, what they're going through, but um, they tend to keep to themselves. And yeah, they burn some stuff and yeah, they smash some windows, but like, I don't think there's been a single story of a, a tourist or something getting wound up in it and getting in trouble. I'm not just saying that because it's my job uh, to tell nice stories about Paris. I literally haven't noticed it. So, uh, I don't know, I think it's partly as the media is, is winding it up a little bit, but um, I don't know, Like it's like anything, it's like any protest. If you go down there and you're in the midst of it, then you might get tear gassed, but if you, if you are a little bit smart about it and you hang out in different areas, you won't even notice it, absolutely not. Some really, really great insights from our guests, and by the sounds of things, anyone heading over to France in the near future just has to execute the same level of common sense they should apply when travelling abroad anyway. For example, when you see an angry mob, don't walk that way. If you haven't already, 
please subscribe to the podcast or feel free to join in the conversation at the Rulemark discussion group via my Facebook page. Next week, we venture outside of France for a short while as I chat about some very, very fun and very special news. I've been Tegan Higginbotham and you've been listening to Rulemark. Au revoir. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.